Well, first, uh, a big thank you uh, to uh, our organizers, uh, Todd Larkin and uh, Brandon Fortune, for their help and warm hospitality. Uh, another big thank you uh, to the Terra Foundation and uh, Montana State University for their soutien. Also, I, I must uh, apologize for my French accent and my pronunciation to improve. For uh, my presentation, uh, the last for uh, our first day, I would like to discuss the production of miniature portraits as diplomatic gift uh, under the Consulate and uh, the First Empire. This production uh, was an important way to diffuse the portraits of Napoleon and his family on snuff boxes uh, and luxury boxes all over the courts in Europe. For 10 years, the policy of diplomatic gift created a stable, profitable, and, um, profitable market for court miniaturists who now had the chance to diffuse their names all over Europe. Obviously, only the most talented artists would, could work for the state. In return, they contributed to the prestige of power with their talents. As we all know, diplomatic gift between royal courts is an ancient practice. In France, in France, this tradition was developed by Louis XIV and it remained in place until Louis XVI. The distribution of portrait boxes and golden, uh, golden snuff boxes, mostly decorated with small portraits of the king, prevailed throughout the 18th century. As, uh, we might, uh, as might be expected, the French Revolution ended this, uh, this gift policy, but it was back again ten years later under the Consulate. Although Napoleon centralized the official artistic production under Vivant de Long, it is interesting that these uh, diplomatic gifts were not supervised by the Louvre director. Initially, under uh, the trust of uh, Foreign Minister Talleyrand, this production was, as of 1806, placed under the control of Duroc. Duroc, uh, the Grand Marshal of the Palace, was assisted by Count Daru, the Quartermaster General of the House of the Emperor. However, uh, the man who was really behind everything was the miniaturist Jean-Baptiste Isabelle. This uh, portraitist, who was trained by, by David in the 80s, had a highly successful career under the directory. Isabelle's uh, miniatures and drawing en manière noire, were very fashionable. The well-known bark here at the top, which was exposed at the Salon in 1798, has thus been one of the most admired works under the directory, both by the public and critics. Isabel was then a model success for the new generation of painters, some of which are gathered in Isabelle's studio, which was exposed at the Salon du Louvre by Boilly in 1798. Chosen by Josephine de Beauharnais, Isabelle became one of the favorites of the regime, together with the architect Fontaine and the painters François Gérard and Jacques-Louis David. Appointed the painter of uh, the first consul in 1802, 
Isabelle painted some of the first uh, official portraits of Bonaparte, like uh, this profile engraved by Tardieu, and also like the famous uh, portrait of Bonaparte at the Malmaison, exhibited with success at the 1827. In 1805, after working with the coronation committee, Isabelle was appointed the first cabinet designer and painter of foreign relations. He became, on that occasion, the leading supplier of portraits for diplomatic gifts, and for the next two years, he provided Duroc more than a hundred miniature portraits, each paid 500 francs. Isabelle, of course, had a very repetitive job. From a single and the same prototype, the painter had to keep reproducing his portraits. As you can see, the size, costumes or accessories in the portrait might vary, but the rest was basically the same. If repetitive, this was, however, a very profitable work for Isabelle, who enjoyed then a much higher court income than the first painter, David and Vivendemont himself, especially as he continued to supply miniature portraits for the private market. Yet, Isabelle faced deadline pressure from Napoleon all the time. As you can see on this graphic, by 1807, after the Treaty of Tilsit, he was almost working at an industrial rate. We are uh, now looking at the problem of capitalist mass production. <laughs> Isabel must reorganize his way of working. Clearly, he could no longer assume all of the supply. Instead, he set up his own workshop to create replicas. He provided a prototype for many of his students and often signed paintings done by others. This uh, new system uh, was designed to meet deadlines and ensure maximum profits for Isabel. It also explained why he insisted prices of his portraits be reviewed upward so that he could pay his amanuensis without compromising any profits. Sort of things. Isabel used uh, repeaters in his workshop and uh, work quality dropped. Still, he increased his price from 500 to 600 francs. A quick comparison of uh, these three uh, Napoleon's portraits shows that on the top, the original, in gouache on uh, ivory tablet, contains a great deal of accuracy. The bust stands out against the dark background. Deep shadows give volume to the face. There is also a strong presence of the emperor's figure. In general, the finish is remarkable. In the second and third versions, on the lower part, uh, there were lots of errors. Face uh, disproportional in relation to the bust, especially on the, on the left. Steve. Stiff poses, as we see from the bad chiaroscuro flattening proportional volume and weak colors. 
Here, the unknown amanuensis had created a pale copy of the original. There are plenty of such copies in the museum and the art market. Uh, this uh, other comparison uh, between uh, three portraits executed around 1808 leads to the same conclusion. Uh, the original, of course, is on the top. As, clear, as early as August 1807, Duroc complained about this poor quality. He told Isabelle, and I quote, Sa Majesté was very unhappy with his portraits and that he would like Isabelle to do better. If not, he would hire another painter. <laughs> this seemed trivial, but it shows how greed mattered more to Isabelle than quality. Also, it revealed the flaws of a system based on commissions that uh, favored one artist at the expense of uh, validity. In fact, this was not uh, the only instance where such issues, the side effects of a policy based on centralized production, came about under the Empire. The official portraitist, François Gérard, have, uh, we've seen this morning, um, for example, also transformed his studio into a kind of factory where copies of his work were made cheap and then sold at their original prices. If uh, these steps were quickly denounced by Denon, who did not hesitate to call Gérard a businessman of uh, diplomatic portraits, one wonders to what extent and how the administration could fight against pressure from artists, now the core of uh, the politics of artistic imperial propaganda, and their personal interest. As for Isabelle, in August 1807, five months after the first reviews on poor work quality, Daru took steps to return to a competitive system and establish a rivalry between several miniaturists without, I quote, favorizing any painter. He added that the Emperor was just back from Austria after the victory of the Great Army in Friedland and the Peace Treaty of Tilsit with Tsar Alexander I. The Emperor urgently needed 40 portraits for Russian and Prussian emissaries in the capital. But he also made it clear that only, I quote again, those recognized by the quality of their work would be hired. By promoting competition and emulation, this kind of Republican-inspired contest had an implicit objective. To seek out among the unknown some of Isabelle's best students and amanuenses, by playing on their ambition, their desire to get out of anonymity, or their teacher's authority, and their eagerness to make more money. But it also encouraged newcomers to tenter their chance, like Jean-Baptiste Augustin. As a result, there was a sharp increase in the miniaturists working for the diplomatic gift. For the first time, many portraitists appeared, as shown in this summary table, in the records of the orders of prison from late 1807. Among them, as mentioned, 
were students and future rivals of Isabel, named in blue here, uh, Jean-Baptiste Aubry, Jean-Lopin Guérin, and Daniel Saint, for example, but also miniaturists who had never worked previously for Napoleon, names in purple, like Jean-Baptiste Augustin. But uh, that's not all. As of uh, January 1888, unless noted otherwise, regardless of one's fame of, or prestige, Isabelle's price, 600 francs, was now with the standard rates for all artists hired by the emperor. In this sense, 1807 marked the end of privilege for Isabelle, whose skills were apparently overestimated at court. However, uh, such changes did not go without consequences. Hiring other painters turned out to be problematic right away. Very few of them could approach uh, Napoleon and draw his portrait from life. There was obviously no question of asking Isabel, who saw no need to see his model with his own eyes for his work, or provide prototypes to his former assistant, now his rivals, as implied by Darius when he told his superior Duroc, I quote, I have many other painters, but how to produce lifelike works without a model possible? Still, I will try and send you the work he has earlier. The result was a disappointment. In fact, most candidates aimed for a resemblance that they could not create, as noted by Daru, and they ended up making more mistakes. Pressed by commissions, Duroc informed Daru that he would accept the portraits of Napoleon anywhere, but advised him to recommend artists to, I quote, focus, to focus less on perfect resemblance than the ideal duty by retaining some features. In which case, it was impossible to ask portraitists to work fast and efficiently without any posing session. Following new and inconclusive tests that still could not meet Napoleon's expectations, history painter Robert Lefebvre was finally called in as reinforcement. Liking a skilled miniaturist, Daru was clearly determined not to let Isabelle take advantage of the situation. He had turned to a painter who was already very famous and, according to the nom, I quote, one of the few who could best paint the resemblance of His Majesty the Emperor. Lefebvre practiced miniature painting during the Revolution and, after having mainly devoted uh, to large format, was now called back to work like a miniaturist under the Empire. Although uh, no miniature by Lefebvre has been found to this day, perhaps because he did not sign his works, the results, to believe the gift uh, registers, were immediate. As of 1810, together with Isabelle and his best student, Jean-Louis Guérin, Lefebvre became one of the three artists selected by Daru for Napoleon's portrait as diplomatic presence. Implemented by Daru and Duroc, 
1807 open door policy to resist negative effect of Isabel nepotism was fruitful, even though it had previously created a more complex situation by turning the problem of consistent quality to resemblance or rather the lack of it. In the end, the solution, a small but talented team of two or three artists capable of working independently around Isabel. Regardless, Isabel stayed at the heart of this system. Figures from the records of diplomatic gifts show that the administration operated around him. This was almost always the case when Napoleon wanted to work for a foreign sovereign or a high-ranking dignitary. Of course, such favoritism had to do with Isabel's talents, his court title, and special relationship with Josephine and the Bonaparte family. But it could also be related to Isabel's flattering international reputations since the end of the century, something that gave his works higher artistic value in the eyes of the contemporaries. For example, in 1810, Isabel, to mark the second imperial marriage, painted few portraits of the emperor and the empress in their wedding costumes. These portraits were exhibited at the Salon de Salière. Of an exceptional finish and quality, these works measure around 30 by 17 centimeters and can be described as authentic portrait miniatures of pageantry. We find in uh, the miniaturist work a unique and intense precision to details in costume, jewelry, as you can see um, here, and this detail, and uh, also the majestic throne decorated with lion heads and paws. This uniqueness is defined by the recipients of this presence. Napoleon planned to send them to his new wife's father, the Austrian Emperor Francis II. As in measure, as in measure official portraits of Napoleon painted by François Gérard, Robert Lefebvre and Jacques-Louis David, Isabelle revived certain iconographic codes of the Bourbon monarchy, but many details like, uh, like uh, the, the large red ribbon of the Légion d'honneur, uh, the clothes decorated with gold, uh, Napoleon's famous diamond, regent on the hilt of his world, and the golden crown laurel placed on a purple velvet cushion on the left of his throne are all visual reminders of the coronation. Given that uh, Napoleon married Marie-Louise in hope of having a heir, when Josephine could not give him one, these uh, details clearly demonstrate the, politi the political dimension of the image, as in the case of the three-colored background created by the different fabrics. Commissioning these two portraits was an occasion for a heated exchange between Daru and Isabel, this time due to pecuniary claims from Isabel, who asked for 4,000 francs for each major thumbnail. 
such a big sum was equivalent to the price of large ceremonial portraits painted in oil for the emperor, including the ones by Gérard or Robert Lefebvre. Denon attempted to obtain a valuation as priced seemed somewhat exaggerated, he said, but in the end, Isabel was still paid 8,000 francs. In fact, uh, we have all the reason to believe that Isabel took advantage of the royal wedding to up his price. In 1810, he thus invoiced 1,200 francs for each of the portraits of Napoleon done on an oval of 10 cm. No doubt, uh, these portraits were larger than conventional miniatures. Still, doubling the price was unjustified. Daru was very annoyed. He threatened Isabel with evaluation from his colleagues and rivals, miniaturists Jean-Baptiste Augustin and François Dumont. In the end, faced with the possible conflict, Durand decided to untrust the valuation task to Vivant Denon. As a result, Denon reverted the price to the standard 600. Against all odds, Isabel refused to compromise and told Daru that he would, I quote, suffer no price cuts. The Grand Chamberlain, Montesquieu, was forced to step in. He cautiously sided with the painter and, I quote him, a price cut is impossible. How can we interpret Isabel's attitude? Is stubbornness, insubordination, superiority, and vindictive response was quite a surprise. Such behavior was close to arrogance. It seemed as if Isabel wanted to be recognized as an artist whose superiority must come with favoritism. Even standard prices of his work must be defined in terms of his fame, not the work itself. Above all, I believe that such inclination for independence from the artist's hands proves how difficult it was for court artists to adapt to constraint and the collective standpoint of their imperial regime, this in spite of their privileged position. Without question, any normal way of doing things was painful for Isabelle, who refused to obey. He adopted self auto-regulation in prices, a practice that reflected libertarian ideals from the French Revolution. On the other hand, to keep in its service the best artist for its propaganda, the regime must be flexible. In this regard, studying the production and commission of official, sorry, official diplomatic portraits is a revealing approach. After all, those who received these portraits as gifts from Napoleon could never imagine the complexity of inner workings behind an enterprise that played such an important role in the artistic life of France at that time. Thank you very much.